Okay, so we are in week three of Exiled in Hope this morning. Exiled in Hope. And this is our third week. We've been, we've been walking through the, 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 the book of 1 Peter. So we're going to go through 1 Peter. Then we're going to go through 2 Peter. That's, that's going to take us uh, into the summer months. And so we're just walking through the book of 1 Peter, verse by verse, letting God's word speak to our hearts. So before we dive in this morning, would you go with me in prayer? God, I thank you this morning for this opportunity to open your word. Lord, what a privilege it is to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to preach your word, to hear your word, to worship together. God, we know that it is your truth as revealed through Holy Scripture that has the power to transform us. You use your word and the Holy Spirit's work to sanctify us, to mature us, to to cause us to be born again, help us to grow in our faith, to become more like Christ, and we thank you for that. This morning, I pray that you would Help us all to receive, to hear your word with hearts of gladness. And I pray that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Benjamin Franklin, I believe he said this. I think he did. Benjamin Franklin, as from everything that I found, he's attributed to saying something that I think you've heard before. Nothing can be said to be certain in this life besides... Death and taxes. Is it true? It's an interesting statement there, right? That's kind of our tax season's coming up. Aren't they extending tax season? Uh, Probably because of COVID, something like that. You can pay your taxes later. Um, But that's what Benjamin Franklin said. And there's these certainties of life that we see when we live life. We think, you know, this is really the only thing that's certain. We know we're all going to die. We also know the government's going to take our money. Right? I read scripture this morning in uh, Genesis chapter 47. This wasn't going to be a part of my introduction. I was just going to talk about Benjamin Franklin. But when I read Genesis 47, you have Jacob talking to Pharaoh. And Joseph has gotten his family into Egypt. And, and, and they're going to be uh, under the, the protection and the safety of Egypt and, and, of, and of Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh looks at Jacob in Genesis 47 and says, how old are you? And this is what Jacob said in Genesis 47. The days of the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and evil have been the days of my life. Few and evil have been the days of my life. Now, the first thing I thought of was 130, and he said few. But back then, people lived a little bit longer than they do now. They, don't have, they didn't have processed foods like we do. <laughs> but um, notice what he said there. Few and evil. Kind of similar feel to Benjamin Franklin. There's nothing certain in this life except death and taxes. And Jacob is communicating to Pharaoh that I've been here for 130 years. And one thing, two things that are certain in this life is that it's been few. The days have been few and the days have been evil. And this reality that Jacob is talking about when Pharaoh is giving, is asking him that question is the reality that Peter is going to continue to step into as he's talking to exiled Christians, Christians that are living under persecution, this is what he is going to shift to begin to talk about to the believers that he's writing to. Now, if you remember the first two weeks, Peter's really kind of started with a big picture view for us as Christians when we're living in this life and things look chaotic, things look difficult. He gave us a big picture view that God sees and God knows and that God has a plan that he's working for his glory. And then... 
And then he broke out into praise last week. We, we looked at, at, at this doxology of Peter, and he's praising God in this letter that is written to Christians that are under persecution. And he's wanting them to join him in praise and to bless the Lord at what? At all times, in every circumstance, in every situation. And so he has not yet focused on what they're walking through until right now, until these verses. He begins to shift and he talks about the trials that they're walking through. He addresses the reality of their experience. So this is what we're going to look at. This shift that Peter makes to address the reality of a dispersed believer, of dispersed believers. He shifts to talk about what they're walking through. So I've titled this message this morning. It will be a, a two-part message in this study. It'll be called Tested by Fire. Tested by Fire. So let's read the text. This is First Peter, verses 6 through 9. These are the verses we're going to cover this morning. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that some powerful scripture? It's God's word. This is God's word spoken to us. So in this section of scripture that speaks about the various fiery trials that these Christians are walking through and then what, what, what we walk through, the various fiery trials, Peter gives us some wonderful reminders that help frame the trials and the suffering that we walk through. Death and taxes, evil days, fiery trials. This is our life. We walk through trials. We walk through pain. We are not exempt from suffering. And so Peter is going to give us some wonderful reminders in this text that help us process the fiery trials, the various kinds of trials that we walk through. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning from verse 6 is, is this, is that our hope, our hope is eternal and our trials are temporary. This is the first help that Peter gives us today. Our hope is eternal and our trials, our various fiery trials are temporary. And all of us say, amen to that. Amen to that. Our hope is eternal. Notice in verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials. What is Peter saying when he's saying in this you rejoice? What's he doing? He's pointing backward. What did we just talk about last week? We talked about our eternal inheritance, and, and that was the, 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 the core of the entire message. Peter was pointing displaced, dispersed, suffering believers to, to set their eyes up, to look up to the reality that th- though what they're experiencing is difficult, they have an eternal inheritance that is secured for them in heaven. It's kept for them by God. Amen? So this is what Peter is saying here, he's saying, in that, in this, we rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice in the reality of our eternal inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. We rejoice because our hope is eternal. We rejoice because the hope of eternity is never fading. It never fades. It's never polluted. 
What God is planning for us endures forever. It endures forever. He's wanting the Christians that would have a struggle to find joy and happiness to look up. He says, in this you rejoice. Where do we look for happiness? A lot of people struggle to find happiness. They struggle to rejoice in, in anything. You, you've, we, we all walk through seasons where we struggle to rejoice. Am I the only one? No, right? Where do people look for happiness? It's kind of like this. This is the Declaration of Independence. It says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is kind of the motto of our country, the pursuit of happiness. And so many people are looking for happiness in so many ways. And they're not doing what Peter says. If, especially if they're not a believer. They're not looking about, they're not thinking about uh, eternity or their eternal inheritance. And they're looking for happiness, for, for joy, for a depth of something in their heart that they can say that brings them contentment and joy. Where do people look for happiness and for joy? Well, this is kind of how I framed it here. If only I had more money. If only I would be, I would be happy. I would be, how big was that mega millions? Is it a billion dollars? Right? Somebody won it. It's a lot of money. A lot of money. If only I had won the mega millions. If only I would get a pay raise. If only, if only. It's like happiness is there. It's out there. It's somewhere in the future. And it's a future that has more money. And if I have that money, if I have that promotion, if I have that, that influx of finances, then, then I can rejoice. Then I can be happy. And Peter's saying, no, in this, rejoice. If only I had that job. If only I had that house. If only I had that kind of husband or wife. Isn't this the reality? And you could say, if only I had, and you just fill in the blank. And so that's, that's, that's our world today. People looking for happiness. And this is, this is what Peter is pointing them to in the first part of this verse. He's saying that our hope is eternal, and it is in this hope that you can rejoice. It's in this hope that you can rejoice. Peter is pointing backward to the reality of the believer's eternal source of joy. But he's doing this as he's pivoting to talk about the ever present reality of trials he's pointing to the christian experience of joy in christ and sorrow in life did you you see that in verse six in this you rejoice yet if necessary for a little while you are grieved by various kinds of trials this is, the, this is what Peter is saying here, that we have hope in eternity, but, but our hope is eternal, but our, our trials are temporary. He's contrasting joy and woe, joy and sorrow, joy and pain, joy in Christ, but, he's, he's, but he's, he's, he's also talking about sorrow in life. This is our reality as Christians. English poet William Blake, he died in 1827, and he, he wrote about this idea of Joy and woe, joy and sorrow. He says this, joy and woe are woven fine, a clothing for the soul divine. Under every grief and pine runs a joy with silken twine. It is right, it should be so. Man was made for joy and woe. And when this we rightly know, through the world we safely go. Joy and woe are woven fine into the fabric of our life 
This is the earthly experience for those who are in Christ. It's the already but not yet. I, yes, I have joy in eternity. And so if you think that, 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 that you are waiting for a time in your life where trials are not there to be happy, then you will continually be disappointed. You will be like, if I, if only I didn't have this experience, then I could be happy. If only this wouldn't happen. If only, if only, if only. And Peter is saying, look, this is the reality of the Christian life, that we have a hope that is eternal, yes. But if necessary, for a little while, while we're living this life, we will walk in trials. Peter, Paul, Paul the apostle, he kind of brought this picture too in 2 Corinthians when he talks about, in 2 Corinthians 4, for this light, momentary affliction. What is it doing? It's preparing an eternal weight of glory. He's contrasting Temporary suffering with eternal weight of glory. The biblical truth being conveyed here is this. Christian joy, hear me, Christian joy is not contingent upon the absence of earthly trials. This is a great way for us to frame our life when we think about trials and suffering and difficulty. Christian joy is not contingent upon the absence of earthly trials. We don't live the Christian life in an if-only mindset. If only I would be healed. If then I could be happy. If only this situation would change, then I could be happy. Our joy is not contingent upon our earthly circumstances being the way that we desire them to be. Our joy is greater than that because our joy supersedes temporary circumstances. Our hope is eternal. It's kind of like it's kind of like this. It's kind of like the athlete waiting on perfection. You know, I'm a golfer and I love to play golf. And if for some reason someday I got really good at it. And for some reason, by a miracle of God, I ended up on the PGA Tour, which is where all the professionals play. And if for some reason, by a greater miracle of God, I won a PGA Tour tournament, which there are hundreds of golfers that play for years and years and years as professionals, and they never win a tournament. It would be like this. I get to the tour, I win a tournament, and I'm constantly seeking perfection, yet I still win, and yet I'm still not satisfied. I'm waiting if only it was the next. If only I went to the next level. If only, and it's like that idea that I'm never, I can never rejoice and take joy in what God has provided for me, what God has done in me. Do you guys follow that? You might could even say it's like this. It's like parents raising kids. Right? Waiting for perfection. We're not finding perfection in golf and we're not finding perfection in our kids or in our spouse. Or any situation. If only, if only I had a, the perfect job. We're waiting and we can't be satisfied and find joy in what God has provided. You guys follow what Peter's trying to say here? He's contrasting. He says, in this we have hope. In this we rejoice. But yet, for a little while, for a little while, we will be grieved by various trials. Our hope is eternal. But you know what the hope in all of this is? It's the next part of that verse. Go back to the text. Let's go back to the text. Listen, listen to this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. 
So yes, this is our reality, like death and taxes, like, 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 like few and evil days, right? This is our experience as Christians. But notice what Peter says there. You've been grieved by various. Say the word various with me. Say various. What does the word various mean? It means many. It means various. It means that I suffer in one way that you may not suffer and you suffer in one way that I, might, that I may not suffer. We have physical suffering. We have mental suffering. We, we, have, we have grieving. We have loss. We have all kinds of different ways in which we suffer. Various types of suffering. You know what's so beautiful about God and his word? Look at 1 Peter 4 verse 10. Describing God's grace. As each has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. What does that mean? It means varied grace. That means for as many various trials as that we can have in this life, there are there is as just as many varied various types of grace that God gives us. Amen. Isn't that good news? Various trials, but various grace. It's kind of, I kind of like to say it like this. It's manifold grace. Various trials and manifold, limitless grace. The grace of God is available to us in proportion to the situations and trials we face. Isn't that good news? What a great way for Peter to help us to frame this reality. That yes, our, we rejoice in the hope of eternity. And yes, we do have Various trials that we face, but greater than all of that is the, the manifold grace to meet us at every type of situation we face. Every type of situation and trial you face, there's a grace of God available for you there. If you're here today and you're like, God, I, I need your grace. He's there. He's available. God, I don't know how this is going to work and change and how am I going to get through this season. There's a grace for you in that moment. In that moment. Our hope is eternal. Our trials are temporary, and our God supplies us with his limitless grace during our days of exile on planet Earth. Amen? The second reminder, as we continue on into verse 7, the second reminder that we're going to look at this morning is that our sufferings are like fire that tests our faith. So we have a joy that we can rest in because we know that these trials that we're having are temporary and that, and that one day there'll be no more. Every tear will be wiped away. But while we are in this life, what about these trials? What are they there for? Our sufferings are like fire that test our faith. Look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Would anybody like to take that scripture out of the Bible? Some of you are like, well, no, we don't want to take anything out of the Bible. But I think once I explain to you what he's saying here, you, some of us would like, God, I think that you could do this another way. But notice what, Paul's, what, what Peter says here. He says, so that. He says that in this life, we're going to have various trials. There'll be various kinds of trials. And, and they're going to be fiery trials, right? We're going to go through these trials So that, so that, what does so that mean? For this purpose, so that, those are two very big words that Peter uses. There's two very, those two very big words communicate something that we don't like to hear. 
And we don't like to believe that God has a purpose for the trials and the suffering that we go through to do something in us and to do something through us. And if it was up to me and you, we'd say, God, I, I could be tested other ways. I, I don't have to go through that. I don't have to go through that rejection. I don't have to go through that trial, that sickness. That, I don't have to go through, through, through all the trials of this life. I don't have to, for me to be refined like fire, come out like pure gold. But this is what Scripture says. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, your faith, our faith is tested like by fire, may be found to result in something. So the question that is obvious for us this morning is, what is the purpose of trials? What purposes do trials have in our life? And Peter makes it clear that the, per- the one main purpose, there's one main purpose mentioned in this text for the per- four trials, and it is the testing of our faith. The testing of our faith. So what does that mean, the testing of our faith? I think there's really two, there's one main purpose for trials. And there's two implications. It's clear in this text. The first one is this, is our profession of faith. And secondly, our living out the life of faith. Our profession of faith and living out the life of our faith. So what does it mean here that the genuineness of our faith is tested through trials? The testing of our faith when we walk through trials is not because God's looking for information about those who belong to him. God's not up there thinking, well, I'm going to do something. I'm going to allow this and uh, th- this circumstance in their life and, so that I can see if they really belong to me. I'm going to see if they're a Christian. No, God knows. If you're his, he knows that, that you're his. So what does this testing do in our life? When we walk through difficult trials, it is a, it is a testing and a proving for us that we belong to him, that we are his, that we are his When we walk through trials and our faith in Christ is tested, we find ourselves on the other side of the struggle with our faith and our trust in Christ still there. It stands as an assurance of our salvation. It's kind of like this reality that pressure can often prove that something is not what it appears to be. You ever experienced that? Pressure can often prove, trials and difficulty can often prove that something or someone is not what they appear to be or who they say that they are. It's like Matthew 13. You remember the parable of the seed and the sower? The sower goes out to sow the seed. The seed is the word of God. Jesus explains this parable. He sows the seed. The seed goes into different types of soil. And some soil springs up. But then what happens? The cares of this world, the trials of this life, the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and they become unfruitful. They were not what they thought they were. They were not what they thought they were. But then it says that the seed that goes into the soil, the good soil, it says that it bears fruit. And it's a fruit that remains. It's a fruit that lasts. And I'm I'm, I'm here to tell you today that that that, that can be one of the greatest proofs in your life of an assurance of salvation is that no, no matter what you go through, no matter how difficult it is, that when you get through the end of that trial, your faith is there and you are standing. And it's been a proving of your faith, a testing. Your faith was tested. Will I believe God in the middle of this? Will I believe God even though everything around me looks like God's not there? And for some of you, you get through the testing. Maybe you're here today and, and you've just given up on your faith. You've walked away. And maybe you realize 
because of the things I've been going through, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not even a Christian. I've had a wrong view of God and what he, he is and what he does in, in our life. And it proved out to be that you really weren't saved. This is a testing. This is what difficulty, what pressure does in people's lives. You, do you guys follow me? But this, I think, is many of you here today. I might just have a little bit of faith. I'll walk through the fire. I'll walk through difficulty. I might just have a little bit of faith left. I might be hanging on by a thread. But I'm here. But I'm here. My heart is his. My trust is in him. The trials were difficult and the testing was painful. But my faith is intact. And that's what the trials and the suffering we walk through in this life. That's what it does. It, it, it reveals who we really are. And it strengthens our faith. And to, to, for us to realize that, that no matter what I went through, my faith remained strong. Amen? The other way in which our faith is tested is in the area of sanctification, in our spiritual growth, our life of faith. So here's what happens when we suffer. Pressures and trials have a way of bringing to the surface the idols of our heart. So we belong to him and and we are believers in Jesus Christ and we are called to mature in our faith. And pressure and trials have a way of bringing to the surface the idols of our heart. Bringing to the surface the things that we are not wanting to give control over to him. When we're under pressure, when we're going through difficulties, God is at work to mature us, to grow us, to to, to use those moments as an opportunity to shine the light of his word into our heart, to expose things that we wouldn't otherwise look at. How many of you probe deeply about your life when things are good? Anybody? Man, when things are good, I'm going 75 miles an hour on the interstate. I got a good job and I got a great marriage and my kids are obedient and man, everything's great. In those moments, we don't want to examine our heart because we think, man, my heart must be pretty good. Knocking out the park. Everything looks good. But you know what happens whenever you get the speeding ticket because you're going 82 miles an hour? Your job is not that great. You get that diagnosis, COVID happens, things are out of whack, the pressure ramps up in your life, and things that you didn't know were there are there. God uses those pressure moments to bring to the surface the things that aren't like Christ, the things that need to be changed. Am I the only one that experiences that? You guys are staring at me like I'm speaking a foreign language. What's God doing in the trials? Listen, listen to Job. Listen to Job. He speaks about the testing of the Lord in his life. Job 23. But if I go to the east, this is Job talking about God. If I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. What's Job saying? Job has lost his health, his wealth, his family, all he has left is a wife that is nagging him and telling him that he should curse God and die. And he says, God, I'm looking for you. Where are you? Where are you in all these trials? He says, he says, if I go to the east, you're not there. If I go to the west, I can't find you. When, 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 when I see you at work over there, 
I, I, I catch You're still not there. I don't see him. When I turn to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Look at verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. What does that mean? God is with us in our suffering. He's with us in our trials. To do what? When he has tested me. I will come forth as gold. Amen? That's what God is doing in our trials and in our suffering. They're not meaningless. They're not purposeless. He's refining us. He's maturing us. He's proving our faith. He's, we, are, we are being reminded, yeah, I am a believer. I made it through that. I may have a little bit of faith left, but I'm still here. And in the middle of those trials, also, God is bringing to the surface the things that we need to repent of, the things that we need to change. What God is doing in you through the various trials of your life is that he is actively at work to make something of you for his glory. It's kind of like this. A simple bar of iron ore buried in the earth, dug up, simple bar of iron ore. When it is pounded and it is heated up and pounded and crushed and made into different things for for products to be sold. A simple bar of iron ore pulled from the earth could be worth $5. Average price, $5. Horseshoes could be worth $10.50. Needles for sewing. So you think about a simple bar of iron. Needles for sewing. You know, look at these small needles. Could be, that single bar of iron could be worth $3,285. Springs for watches. Get a lot of springs for watches out of a single bar of iron, couldn't you? Springs for watches could be worth as up to as much as $250,000. So what makes a difference? What makes a difference to produce all those different things? The amount of heat applied to the iron and the purposes of the ironsmith. Did you catch it? What makes the difference? The amount of heat applied to the iron and the purposes of the ironsmith. I'm done. I could end right now. Close, amen. That is, that, that helps so much when we think about what we go through. God is at work. He has a purpose. He's working in us. And we can feel like we're just a single bar of iron ore buried in the earth. But when he unearths us and he gets to working in us, he's making something beautiful out of us. Amen? You may find yourself on the anvil of suffering, but be encouraged. God is at work. God is at work. You know, we often quote a scripture to talk about this. We'll say Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. But really what we do is we, we only quote the first half of verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good. How many of you have heard somebody say that? We know all things work together for good. We know all things work together for good. That's not true. If you don't quote the whole scripture, if you just go around telling people and in their suffering, all things work together for good, you're lying to them. It's true. You are lying to them. Because the rest of the verses tell you what is true. Let's, let's break that down. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those, who are the those? 
those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those, did you ever notice the, the three for those, for those, for those, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers? So what does the scripture say? Do all things work together for the good? Not always. But for the believer they do. Here's what it means. For those who love God, this promise is for the believer. All things do work together for the good in the believer's life. For those who are called according to his purpose, what does this mean? It means that God has a unique plan he is unfolding in your life. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This means that the ultimate purpose of that plan, ultimate purpose of the plan that works together for our good, the ultimate purpose of that plan is to become more like Christ. Amen? It's not so you could, not so you can get the new house and the new car and everything you've ever dreamed of after the suffering. It's so that you can become more like Christ. That's the purpose of suffering and trials, ultimately, so that we can become more like Christ. The sufferings of this life have ultimate meaning and purpose in the life of the believer because of God's commitment to our sanctification and his commitment to his purposes of getting glory through our life. I want to read that again. I want you to catch this. Listen. The sufferings of this life have ultimate meaning and purpose in the life of the believer. Because of God's commitment to our spiritual growth. And because of his commitment to his purposes of getting glory through our life. And lastly this morning, to help frame the meaning behind our trials. Third thought this morning is this, is that our joy is unexplainable and praiseworthy. Our joy is unexplainable and praiseworthy. Look back at the text Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see this flow that Peter is giving us here. He's starting with this reality that death and taxes, few and evil, joy and woe. This is our reality and this is what God is doing. He's testing our faith. He's trying us. He's testing us so, so that we will come out as pure gold. And he says this. He culminates this section by saying, though we've not seen him, we love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. And filled with glory. And this is what I know is true in the life of believers who walk through the fire. This is what I know is true. Is that they come out on the other side filled with joy. And they're living for the glory of God. And that is a profound mystery. You can't even put words to that. That's what it's inexpressible. We have inexpressible joy. What does the word inexpressible mean? It means this. Translated out. Unutterable. Unspeakable, indescribable, defying expression or description, too great for words. And that good, that's good stuff. That no matter what we go through, our faith is intact. We may have just a little bit of it. I got on the other side of it. I, I'm still here. I still love the Lord. He's still with me. He's been sanctifying, working in me. And I have a joy that the world looks at me and says, That's indescribable. 
that, that's unspeakable. It defies expression. Inexpressible. There's no word. How are you still okay? How, how is it that you have a joy? How is it you have peace? How is it? This is the reality of the life of the Christian that no matter what we go through, we have a joy that our sufferings and that the world cannot take from us. And when the world looks at it, they say, it's just inexpressible. It's just unexplainable. It's too great for words. I, I've, I often stand in awe at the powerful work of God in the life of precious believers who've gone through gut-wrenching pain. I stand in awe as a pastor when I get to walk with people and see them walk through gut-wrenching situations that you would think, I don't know how they're going to make it on the other side of this and be okay. And then you see in their life God's faithfulness. You see in their life there's a joy, there's a peace, there's a, there's a, there's a, a settledness of God's work in their life. And, and they get on the other side of it and, yeah, the pain is still there. And they will still have their difficulties and moments that are challenging. But you can see in their life, you can see the work of God in their life and the depth of joy that nothing can take away. And it's inexpressible. You don't understand it. You can't put it into words because it is, it, because it is the work of God. I'll never forget the funeral service. For Gabby, for Gabby Castile, I was standing right there. And Troy and Kara were on the front row here. Troy and Kara Castile, I don't know if they're here this morning. But I'll never forget. Gabby was tragically killed in a car accident. And there's Troy Castile with his arms up in the air. Did y'all see him? Did anybody else see him? Worshiping his Savior. Inexpressible unexplainable too 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 good too too magnificent for words i'll never forget lloyd cunningham lloyd cunningham miss gloria cunningham she still goes to our church she's a part of our church and lloyd cunningham passed away she's miss gloria works in the front office she's on staff here and she's getting better by the way she's going to be back at work on monday but i remember her husband died of cancer and I remember the weeks leading up as he was getting sicker and sicker. I'd go back. Miss Gloria and Mr. Lloyd live in the back in, in, in our campground back there. And, and I'd go visit with Mr. Lloyd. I'd sit in this camper with him. And we would just we'd read, read the Bible. He, I'd come and bring a, one of my favorite verses. He'd share one of his favorite verses. And even in the middle of cancer, in the middle, I think it was stomach cancer, even in the middle of what he was walking through, he was so passionate about his love for the Lord and his love for the grace of God. If you talk with Mr. Lloyd, he was going to talk to you about the grace of God. It's unexplainable, inexpressible, too great for words. I remember Mr. Warren Russich. He passed away from cancer. Miss Tay Russich, she's now Tay Rodrig. Mr. Jean swept her off of her feet. And I remember when Mr. Warren was still living and I got to know them, and Mr. Warren came, and he wanted, he, he, he was diagnosed, he knew his diagnosis was terminal, and he wanted to renew his vows with Miss Tay. How many years was it, Miss Tay? 30 years. That was one of the most precious things I've ever been a part of, I have to tell you. Here's this man just wanting to express his love for his wife. I show up at their house, it was in their backyard with all their family. I had the privilege of re- renewing their vows and 
And then, I, and then, I, then I would come. I'd come at least. I would try to come at least once a week, and I'd come and sit with Mr. Warren. And I was amazed that no matter what was going on around him, he had his faith. He had a love for God and a love for his family. And I had the privilege of speaking at his funeral and talking about that faith. It's inexpressible. It's too great for words. And no matter how difficult, our faith is still there. I'll never forget Nicole Duplantis and her family. And I remember where I was at. I remember whenever I was in Thibodeau. And I was coming back from picking up Eliana at some type of practice in Thibodeau for something. I remember driving back and Robbie Liner is the one who called me first. And he told me something happened to Nick. We think he was in a helicopter accident. We don't know what's going on. I just remember it from that moment on. It was like a whirlwind for several days. I remember going to her house. I remember seeing her pain. The, just how this, the, the emotions that you're going through as a woman who just lost her husband and the father of her children. And I don't, it's, that, that moment's too great for words. You don't even know what to say. And you're just wanting to be there. But then just to watch over these last two years, watching Nicole and her family, watching the work of God in their life. Every time I see Nicole, I, I just think, how amazing is that? How powerful of a work of God in her life. She has her faith and her trust for the Lord. She's committed to God's glory in her life. I, I called Nicole yesterday, I said, I want to ask permission to, to mention your story. And, and this is what she said. She said, you, you can share it as often as you want because I want God to get glory from my story. That's too deep for words. Unexplainable, inexpressible joy. Inexpressible joy. And there's many other stories here that we could go on and talk about. And and I know I'm not sharing your story because maybe I don't know all the personal stories you've walked through. But those of you that have gone through the other side of it and you're here, your faith is intact. You're you're more like Christ. You're glorifying his name. That's a joy that is inexpressible and the world doesn't understand it. And here's what it does. Notice the end. Inexpressible and filled with glory. What does that mean? Well, what's the word glory mean? Filled with glory. The word glory means this. To glorify or praise. To glorify or praise. To speak words of glory. Attribute a high status. Putting the two together. We have a joy that's inexpressible. We have a joy that supersedes all of our earthly circumstances no matter what we walk through. And when we're on the other side of it, we are filled with words of glory and praise to a God that is faithful. Amen? We are filled with words of glory and praise to a God that is faithful. To a God that never fails. And this, this is the ultimate purpose of the various trials that we walk through in this life. That's the ultimate purpose. That we should take the indescribable joy that we have and that we should put it into words. The world may look at it and they may not understand it and they can't describe it, but you can. Take that indescribable joy and put it into words. Put it into gospel words. So the world all around you can look at you and say, I don't understand it. And you can say, I'll tell you why. Because of my Savior. Because of Jesus. 
to the praise and the glory of his name. To the praise and glory of his name. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word meets us exactly where we are, no matter the circumstances we face. Your word is relevant to every day of our life, every situation. We thank you that your word helps us to to frame the, the dark moments and situations that we face. It helps us to see that that no matter what we have going on all around us, no matter what the difficulty is, how hard it is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we can know that you are at work in the middle of all of it. Working your plan. Changing us. Sanctifying us. Making us more like your son, Jesus. And God, and I pray that for those who are walking through intense, fiery trials right now, intense, various kinds of trials, I pray that your manifold, various, varied grace would be would be poured out on them today. And that they would be filled and strengthened with the strength that is not of this earth, but it is a strength from heaven. And that God, I pray that as they get on the other side of this, that that you will have matured them and grown them and sanctified them and, and ultimately that you would demonstrate your goodness to a lost and a dying world through their faith in you. God, bless your people today. Strengthen them wherever they are. God, I pray that we will never look at trials the same way. God, bless your people today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you. I will see you next week.